Week three inches closer, and the biggest opportunity to propel their season forward belongs to the Washington Huskies this week as they play host to the 11th-ranked Michigan State Spartans. And they're favored? Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you have not already, please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. We're almost to 1,000 subscriptions on the YouTube channel. If we hit that before the weekend, I would be over the moon, but I'm grateful for all of your support of the show anyway, and I'm grateful to have Carter Baines back once again, senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com. We bring him on to talk beeves and talk Pac-12. We'll go all around and we'll get to the beeves later in the show today. But Carter, let's hop right into it. Washington has the biggest game so far of the Kalen DeBoer era by a long shot. So far, they've played Kent State and Portland State. And look, they've looked to their credit the way a good team is supposed to look against those opponents. And not everybody does. And the randomness of college football, I think, was demonstrated and their uh, in-state counterpart, Washington State, who barely beat Idaho, go on the road, beat number 19, Wisconsin. I don't think anybody saw that coming. But how do you assess the opportunity that that Washington has here playing host to, to the 11th ranked team in the country right now? Yeah, this is an opportunity for Washington to prove that, you know, what it did against lower competition wasn't just a, all right, here, you know, we're, we're actually a good team. They've got an opportunity uh, against, like you said, one of the top 11 teams in the country right now who has, has played very well in Michigan state um, Mel Tucker getting an opportunity to come back West and, and play against a PAC 12 team, of course, after um, that uh, so pretty break up at, at Colorado, which, um, I'm sure we're not previewing any Colorado games this week, unfortunately, with the way. Well, they're a 27 and a half point underdog against Minnesota last time I checked. So I think the buffs are praying that that game just doesn't get way out of hand. But if it does, um, the pressure on Carl Durrell shall intensify. But a conversation Mm -hmm. for another day. Continue. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was just saying. It's it's a an opportunity for Kalen DeBoer very early on in his tenure to pick up. I don't know if we would call it a signature win, but but certainly a big win and one that would prove that Washington's not rebuilding. It's ready to compete against high level competition right away. Um, so I think it's you know not only a big game for for Washington as a team in in 2022, but it's a big opportunity for Kalen DeBoer to say, no, we're, we're here. You know, we're, we're not working our way back up. We're, we're ready to play right now. Yeah. I think you'd put the rest of the conference on notice and certainly they'd slide into the top 25 should they win, which would be great for the conference because the number of ranked teams right now is currently sitting at three and you'd love for that number to be closer to to five. And Oregon of course is teetering. And I, I frankly was surprised the ducks, got back in the top 25. Yeah, you look the way you should against Eastern Washington, but you look the way you shouldn't have against Georgia. It is only number 25. I, I, I don't know. I got That was a, a little surprising to me. But another thing that surprised me with regards to this Washington game, 
Huskies three and a half point favorites right now. That that is a lot of respect, and I understand the offense is humming. They're they're going up against a different animal in uh, Mel Tucker's Michigan State Spartans, of course. And, and Washington has looked fluid. They've looked good literally from the first play of the season when they started with an interception against Kent State. Penix is healthy. He's throwing the ball well. He's connecting with receiver. Like there have been a lot of really good things for this Washington team so far, but. Are you surprised that they're not just favored, but by over a field goal at home against Michigan State? Maybe the Spartans have taken a step back from what they were a year ago when they were an 11-win team, but I, I saw that, and it's holding steady there right now. That that surprises me. Like I, I'm not ruling out Washington entirely in this game, but I think Michigan State will be able to get it done, and that that's a big, big number to me. I'm curious where that comes from because – I mean, anytime you see a, a three-point favorite and it's the home team, you say, all right, well, that's just home field advantage. So Vegas essentially is saying that these two teams are equal and there's nothing about the resumes that suggest right now. I mean, I mean, you know, Washington has to go out and prove it. Everybody, I think, is expecting Michigan State to come in and, and at the very least give them everything they want. Um, so yeah, three and a half. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When you said that I had to pull up Michigan state's results and say, okay, is there something that I'm missing here? Uh, and I wouldn't say a 52 to nothing win over Akron necessarily suggests that you should be an underdog, especially if you're, you know, the, the 11th ranked team in the country, I I know they're going on the road and, and Washington by all accounts looks like a good team in 22, but no, I, I I don't see anything in this game that suggests that the Huskies should be favored but I really think that they should be you know like heavy underdogs here I, I think it's going to be a, a good game and I think Washington's going to put up a pretty strong fight if not win this thing outright um, but I would certainly not go on the record and, and predict Washington to win by three points yeah it just was surprising and is making me kind of dig around and, and look at this game and the matchup and such and ask like what what does Vegas know that we do not. I, I've seen people who, who cover the Huskies who are even surprised, like, wait, wait, Washington's favorite. And maybe they're just given all the credit to, you know, kind of a long trip for Michigan State coming from East Lansing. It's going to be probably a sold out crowd in, in Seattle because they're 2-0 and and optimism is running high right now for, for the Huskies football program. It's a huge game. And uh, I I, I would think that's that's a major part of it, because I, I think even if you uh, assume, which we can because we've seen them perform against uh, a competition similar to what they faced last year and perform better, at least in the two weeks we've seen so far, if you assume Washington is a better overall team, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily on Michigan State's level. And look, maybe... They lost Kenneth Walker, the running back from a season ago. I'm not sure what other uh, notable losses they've had. Maybe that that's where it's coming from, is that the markets are looking at Michigan State and saying, hey, this team's overvalued as the AP number 11 team in, in the country. I think it says more about them uh, than it does about Washington in, in that sense. But other games around the Pac-12 that are uh, interesting this weekend. BYU travels to Oregon where, again, what does Vegas know that, that we don't, Carter? I had just three and a half, four-point favorite for the Ducks here at home. Now they have a 20-game home winning streak, which is certainly a part of it. But 
BYU's coming off uh, a great win against a good Baylor team, the reigning Big 12 champions who returned a good amount of production and have a filthy defense, but the Cougars' defense held up well. Uh, I, I was also surprised at, at that, but what do you think this game means for, for Oregon and the Pac-12 having a, a top 15 team coming into Austin? Like what, what does that game mean for the Ducks, win or lose? Yeah, I think it's the biggest game, not only um, you know within this this kind of section of its schedule, but also for just for the Pac-12 this week. You know, I think this game not only has the potential to be the closest, you know, just best game to watch, um, but I, I think it's an opportunity for the Pac-12 to say, hey, you know, we're still a, a top-tier conference, still better than uh, you know the the soon-to-be Big 12s and the um, the independents out there, you know, I, I think it's an opportunity on a national stage for the Pac-12 to to make a statement and and for Oregon to say, hey, that forty-nine to three loss that we just had, you know, in prime time against Georgia, not that team. You know, we're we're more of the team that just beat Eastern Washington by what fifty-five points or or something like that. Um, but I I don't really have a great read on this matchup because I think BYU is very legitimately a, a top 15 team in the country this year obviously beating Baylor is um you know that's, you know that's an accomplishment for sure uh, Baylor's a very good team I, I think Oregon isn't as bad as it's 49 to 3 loss against Georgia but you know it's not as good as the score might suggest um you know that that it posted against Eastern Washington and Eastern Washington played horribly in that game like like the Ducks did a number of things well but the Eagles did not actually, their quarterback had a bad, bad day. Yeah. And I, I think Oregon, you look at the the final 10 games of its schedule and I, I don't think we've learned anything about the Ducks through two weeks because I mean, I don't think very many people expected them to be against Georgia. And I don't think anybody expected them to falter against Eastern Washington. So I mean, Oregon could go nine and one in its final ten games, and I wouldn't be shocked. It could go five and five, and I wouldn't be surprised. I just don't really know what to make of Oregon right now, um, given what we've seen from them through through the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to be the best barometer for for what to expect for the Ducks the rest of the year. I, I agree with you on that. There's one more big time prime time game uh, this weekend for the Pac-12. We'll talk about that after we tell you that if you want to bet any of these games, Bet Online is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games and beyond. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, go Mariners, baby, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. So Cal is going at Notre Dame and going into the season, I didn't have high hopes for this one. I still don't have tremendously high hopes, but I will say they've been elevated a little, not so much because of what I've seen from Cal, um, because it's an offense that I, I think could really struggle to score points on the road at Notre Dame against a team that is going to be playing ticked off because of how they've started. Marcus Freeman doesn't have a win as a, a coach yet. 
And I, I don't think the Bears are going to be able to get this done. The 10.5 point number, that might show up in the Pac-12 prime picks later this week because it's most intriguing, especially with that little half-point hook. Um, but the Bears' offense so far kind of been what I expected. Pretty underwhelming. Plummer will make a nice throw every now and then. But overall, they started slow against UC Davis and then eventually picked it up. And they only put up 20 points at home against UNLV. That's just kind of what I was expecting coming into the year. So far, it's played out that way. It's definitely more likely now, in my view, that Cal beats Notre Dame than it was going into the year off a loss against Marshall because the caliber of that Notre Dame team is just clearly not very high. They also just lost their quarterback for the year, and I've heard their backup is nothing special either. So how are you looking at this game in what will be a Pac-12 team that is playing on NBC, which doesn't happen, I don't know, ever. And it'll be Cal of, of all the teams, but it's it's a chance. I suppose Notre Dame plays USC and Stanford every year. So either than those, other than those two teams, not every day someone is playing on, on NBC from the Pac-12. How do you think the Golden Bears can, can fare here going into South Bend as 10.5-point underdogs? Well, I like what you said about entering the season. We didn't necessarily think this game was going to mean a whole lot to the conference i mean you know i schedule going into the year and i'm saying all right well notre dame's probably going to be a three touchdown favorite that game's probably not going to be particularly close we're going to say oh great you know what a what an awesome advertisement for the pac-12 on on national tv but now here we are after two weeks of the season and you've got a 2-0 team and an 0-2 team and that golden bears and i don't think we would have uh, predicted that going into the season but um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that Cal, you know, that I would go out and pick Cal to win this game, particularly with the way that it struggled against UNLV. But I mean, I think the fact that Notre Dame has struggled to the extent that it has so far and obviously losing to the thundering herd, uh, was, was just the most recent kind of disappointment in that, in that program's, um, you know, we are history. Marshall. <laughs> Great movie, by the way, with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Um, no, just the fact that that those two teams are, are trending in the way that makes it more of an intriguing matchup than we expected. But I still don't know if if I can say, oh yeah, Cal's, Cal's ready to make that step and, and beat Notre Dame, regardless of how much Notre Dame has struggled uh, to start the season. Yeah, you still have better players top to bottom on Notre Dame's roster. It's in South Bend, but... You also have a head coach who's never won a game, and Justin Wilcox at least knows what it feels like to win a game as sure. as a head coach. And I was talking on yesterday's show with Mark Culkin of Locked On USC, and one thing he pointed out that caught my attention, especially with that 10.5 point number, is you've got a young, relatively inexperienced offensive coordinator in uh, Tommy Reese, and you've got a coach in Justin Wilcox who in my view, has shortcomings as a head coach, but I would hire him as my defensive coordinator no matter what team I was anywhere. I think he's really sharp on that side of the ball because he's built a top-tier defense in the Pac-12 at Cal, and he's doing it without a bunch of... They haven't been sending a lot of guys to the NFL. There's an Evan Weaver every now and then, or a Good, the the linebacker as well, G-O-O-D-E, not G-O-O-D. But like they've had a couple decent players, but overall, I just watch his defenses and... They're very well coached. They have a safety whose name is eluding me right now, who in the UNLV game and watching it was just popping off the screen with, with with his speed. I tell you what, 
that's an interesting way to look at the game. Like Justin Wilcox against Tommy Reese, kind of feel based on what we've seen so far, especially now that Reese has got a backup quarterback. I don't think Cal's going to score a lot of points, but I don't know that Notre Dame is going to score a lot of points in this game either. Yeah, so here's why the Golden Bears have been competitive for so long under Justin Wilcox, even though they haven't necessarily made that step and and competed in the upper echelon of the Pac-12. It's because you can rely on a good defense to keep you in games. You know, if if, if you are limiting the number of possessions in the game, and, um, you know, holding teams to, to 25 points or fewer on a regular basis doesn't matter how bad your offense is, you're going to have opportunities to win that game. And I think that is why so often we've seen Cal around that four to seven win range. Um, It's just, you know, when you have beat teams that you're not expected to beat, but when you have an offense like that as well, you're probably going to lose to teams that you're expected to beat as well. And so I, I think when you look at a matchup against a team of Notre Dame's caliber, you say, well, that's a game where the defense can play up, you know, especially with, with Notre Dame scoring what, like two touchdowns against Marshall last, um, you know, Notre Dame doesn't look like it's going to set the world on fire offensively. You mentioned they're down to a backup quarterback. Maybe this is a game where Cal again relies on that defense to keep it close and then all you need is is a couple of scores, and and there you go. You've you know you've pulled off the up. Yeah, it, it's a defense that is good year in and year out, really, in the Pac-12, and, and it bears itself out statistically. No pun intended with the Bears, and and also just the the eyeball test. You watch them, and they they don't commit a ton of penalties. Like, have you ever watched a Cal football game and the defense commits like eight penalties for seventy yards and just gives first downs to the other side like no you're gonna have to to earn it and they don't recruit at a high level and never really have as long as Wilcox has been there I don't think they did with Tedford either really it's not something that that they've just been able to do tremendously well but they make the most of the guys they have on the defensive side of the ball I think Jaden Ott is a nice running back and, and very versatile in the passing game about the only offensive piece I really like that I've seen so far for for, for the Bears but I know that defensively that they've got guys up front who who are physical and who are fast and they are very very well coached. It's what I always think when I watch Cal's defense. That's a well coached football team on, on that side of the ball, and I think Wilcox does that uh, very very well. Let's go to Oregon State now, and they had a great win over the weekend. The probably best game over the weekend, not necessarily the, the biggest, but it was one of them, and it was the best. It came down to literally the final play. Who else would have run it in but Jack Coletto? Because that's what every Oregon State fan wanted to see. Fresno State didn't know it was coming. I did get a kick out of, uh, I think it was Antonio Cromartie was doing the color commentary on the game, and when Coletto came in, he predicted that uh, this is going to be a, a, a fake run and Coletto's going to throw. And then he runs over the right edge. And then two seconds later, Cromartie said, I can't believe they didn't know he was going to run to the right. Everyone knows it's going to run to the right. And I was like, dude, you just said it was going to be something else, which is not a half bad thought. But like, I just got a kick out of that. But regardless, 
Coletto just works. He it, it just it does in certain moments. He's a Taysom Hill of, of Oregon State's team, and people can rip on the Taysom Hill contract all they want, but you look at his stats on third and fourth and short, he's really, really good. And that's a really critical situation. Uh, so aside from that particular play where Coletto came up big for the Beavs, how did you feel Oregon State played on the road, winning at Fresno State for the first time in program history? There's value in a player like Jack Coletta, who you know may not set the world on fire in one particular thing that he does, but when he's reliable in short yardage situations, you use him. And, and when he is a very solid backup linebacker, you use him. And when he is a special teams threat, you use him. And Edmonds out and, and pulls off uh, one of the biggest plays, I think, in recent Oregon State history with that game-winning touchdown. Um, and... You know, I, I think Oregon State played about as well as I expected them to play. I, I think Fresno State got what I expected it to get against the Oregon State defense. Um, the game followed the uh, the close matchup kind of prognostication that it that it received not only from Vegas but I think from pretty much everybody who picked the game. Um, I thought it was going to come down the final possession. Sure enough, it did. But but overall, you know, I, I think just a big win for Oregon State. Um, not necessarily program defining, but to go and, and beat a very good team, a 10-win team last year, who I think is, you know, probably going to be close to that again this year, uh, on the road where you've never done it before, to do it in that fashion where Jonathan Smith says, no, we're not playing for the tie. We're here to win this game, uh, and you do it. Not program defining, but a, a huge win for Oregon State, which is is now two and zero, and looks like it's it's it is ready to make that leap and and compete for. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if a Pac-12 titles in the cards once it gets to conference play, but it, it's it's going to compete for you know eight or nine wins. Yeah, and when you and I went through their their schedule prior to this season, we both had them going two and one through these games, which I, I think would have been just fine. Like if you're Oregon State, assuming you don't stumble against Montana State at home this week, which I do not foresee in any way, shape or form with how they're playing right now. If you'd been two and one going into conference play, I think Oregon State fans probably would have taken that, right? You would have felt good, whether it was beating Fresno and losing to Boise or beating Boise, losing to Fresno, like whatever, that was going to feel good. But now it's kind of that situation of, you wanted your team to get to a certain level, and they got above that level. And normally, you thought, well, maybe we'll just be content that, that this happened and we got a little bit above it. But now that you see what's possible, I feel like in the minds of Oregon State fans, Carter, the expectations are now, yes, yeah, seven wins is like the bare minimum. Whereas going into the year, seven wins would have been, all right, that's okay. That's solid. Would have liked to see eight or more. But now that you're probably going to be starting 3-0, and with this win against Montana State, I think you got to look at this team as a Beaver fan and say, man, I, I expect eight wins at least here. You're exactly right. I mean, when I came on this show and I, I picked a seven-win season, I said, I think Oregon State's going two and one in non-conference. I, I think it has the potential to win all three games, but I can't predict it because Boise State and Fresno State were picked to win their divisions in the Mountain West. Oregon State to, I mean, flat out would dominate the Broncos, I, I think in week one and, and to go on the road in a hostile environment and win a game that was a, a toss up and kind of a prove it game, you know, a, okay. Are you really this good kind of game? Um, I, I think the Beavers potentially at three and to start the year, 
seven wins would, would be a disappointment at that point. Um, you know, you look at some of the coin flippy type games later on down the season, and I think you have to give Oregon State, you know, the the um, the edge in a lot of those if you, if you were to go and, and predict win totals at this point in the season. And, and so I think eight or nine wins is, is probably the expectation in the fan base right now. Um, I, I know a lot of fans were hoping for eight or nine before the be, before the year even began, but um, to start the season this way and, and to get two tough wins early on in the year, um, you know, I, I think that sets things up pretty well for this team. Yeah, I, I had them eight wins coming into this season, and I feel really good about that prediction right now. And the other thing, if anyone uh, listened to us at the time, then you, you missed out on it, unfortunately. But regardless of what specific number we were predicting for the Beavs going into the year, we were both taking the over of five and a half easily, and that... They're going to be at three through three weeks, and that's about as good as you could hope. Let's assume that that happens, and let's assume USC uh, mops the floor with Fresno State, which they probably will, because I don't know who's stopping that offense right now, and the answer is certainly not Fresno State at this point in time. That sets up a week four showdown in Corvallis, top 10 USC, going on the road to play Oregon State. Where have I heard that story before? Mm-hmm. I'd have to I'd have to go into the memory archives to think about it. But that game right now, Carter, and I don't think it's going to change because I believe it's been officially announced, is going to be on, checks notes, the Pac-12 network, which is, number one, surprising because USC is the flagship brand in the Pac-12. Everybody knows that. I think of it a little bit like Gonzaga basketball in the WCC. They're the biggest team there. Every single game Gonzaga plays is on ESPN in some form or another, right? Whether it's in conference or out of conference, they're always on national TV because the WCC wants to get their biggest brand out there. The Pac-12 is not only going to be hiding USC next week, but they're also going to be shielding a lot of people from having to watch what could be a really good football game and a potential statement win for the Beavs if they pull the upset, I think Oregon State is getting absolutely screwed there. The only reason that this game's on the Pac-12 network, I think, is because all of the Pac-12 teams are required to be on that channel three times this year. And ESPN and Fox are kind of betting on US in the, the latter half of the season. Which makes sense, you know, fair enough. But I, I don't think you can look at this game and say, well, this isn't a big game for USC. You know, I mean, you're going to have probably a 3-0 and Oregon State team that's going to be knocking on the door of the, the top 25. It'll probably check in, you know, as the fourth highest vote getter that didn't they're all, make it. They're, they're already getting votes right now, as they should yeah. be. Yeah, they're, I, I want to say like 33rd right now or something like that, if you extrapolate out, you know, the the vote tally. Um but no, it's it's a borderline top twenty-five matchup that features a, a top ten USC game, and that has ESPN primetime written all over it. I mean, look this week, USC won on the road to Stanford, who I don't think anybody really expects to be like particularly great, and that got the four thirty ABC time slot. And so, I I don't think you can look at this game and say, well, no, that's any worse than the matchup that they just featured you know in the best time slot they have i'm not saying oregon state usc should be you know like a, a prime time you know nationally televised abc you know network tv type game 
Uh, but there's no way it should be stuck at 6.30 on the Pac-12 network where nobody's going to see it. Because like you said, not only is it a big game for USC, but potentially be a really great game. You know, the, the line of this game is probably going to be set somewhere in the three to five range, if I had to guess, um, based on the way that, you know, the lines in the Pac-12 have been set this week. I, I don't think Vegas is going to like, you know, particularly like love the Trojans in this matchup going on the road against a good team um, to just be a classic and in, in what is probably USC's last trip to Corvallis, a place that it has struggled as a top 10 team in, in recent history, as you mentioned. I, I, I would imagine the thinking for having Stanford USC in that primetime slot is number one, it's USC and it's the first power five opponent for Lincoln Riley. And then the team on the other side is Stanford and the Bay area is a bigger TV market to tap into than than Oregon State. Like that's probably why. But I just saw that game and I, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily because the Beavs may or may not even uh, be in the top 25. If I had a vote, I, I'd probably give it to them if they were 3-0. and But at, at this point in time, they might be just on, on the outside looking in. But regardless, I look at it and say, man, I think that's going to be a, a really, really good game. And it's USC. And look, maybe it shouldn't be because it's Oregon State on on ABC in the primetime slot. But it feels like that should be an FS1 game. You know, like like that. that's kind of what, what felt appropriate to me. And I saw that and thought, really? Like, I don't know if this is a holdover from Larry Scott's decisions or if this was made by this current administration and George Klyovkov, but... I, I'm with you that that was that that's kind of disappointing because if Oregon State pulls the upset and think about it as well. If you're trying to sell a game to a particular network and say, yeah, you want to put this one on there. What does a network want to have for something like that? They want to have context. They want to have stakes. They want to have content to talk about beyond the game. You can roll the clips of Oregon State beating USC in Corvallis back in the day. And frame that with the context of Jonathan Smith has been building this program up for the last five years, and it's been a steady, solid rise, and this could be the pinnacle win, potentially. And we'll talk about this more next week, of course, but it just felt so uh, Pac-12. Like, Oregon at Washington State, yeah, I get it, it's Oregon and more, more people watch, but... And that will also probably be a very good football game. But the ramifications of Oregon and Washington State, to me, are not as significant as USC-Oregon State. And again, on USC side, it's another chance to show against a Pac-12 opponent who looks to be a good team this year just how good the Trojans can be. The storylines are there for sure. I mean, they can they can show the ESPN footage of Oregon State beating number one USC in 2008. Uh, and the fans storming the field and whatnot. I mean, you know, that game was worthy of, of an ESPN primetime slot. Now, given it was, it was on a weeknight, so it's a little easier to fit it in there. But it's uh, the precedent has been set that, you know, this is a matchup in the past that has been nationally televised. Um, and I, I look at, you know, some of the other games that got national you know, national slots uh, in, in, in that week. Of course, that's two weeks out at this point. Um, but there's an FS1 game that matchup isn't Washington, Arizona, I don't think, but it's like it's that caliber of game where it's like a middle of the road versus kind of a you know bottom dweller. And I'm like, are people gonna be tuning in? Is that gonna be on TV and in, in yep. bars at, at 7 30 p.m.? Like I think people would rather 
watch Oregon State and, and USC, who are, well, I mean, I mean, at, at that point, I think we both expect them to be 3-0. and So they're playing to stay undefeated. It's a game that if both teams reach the, uh, the expectations and the goals that they have, it probably has Pac-12 title implications. You know, whether it's, you know, this team is, it, you know, Oregon State has the, the tiebreaker over USC because it beat it head-to-head, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, this is a big game in a lot of ways, and I, I just think that it's a shame you know, regardless of, of the, the requirements for teams to be on Pac-12 Network or for however many other games ESPN and Fox had to choose from, I, I think it's a shame that this thing gets relegated to the Pac-12 Network in a 6.30 p.m. time slot. Yeah, you just you got to find a way to, to make it happen. But such is the life for us as uh, Pac-12 fans. Carter Bain, senior editor and writer at BeaverBlitz.com. We will have him back on next week to talk about that game and more across our beloved Conference of Champions. Carter, good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.